Hello again, and welcome to the Life Pedersen Makes a Podcast podcast. I'm your host, Life Pedersen. This will be the third and final installment of me reading from my book, Backpacking with Dracula, which uh, I normally do every year right around Halloween at a bookstore, but I can't do that this year because President Littlefinger allowed the coronavirus to wash over the country while he played golf and touched himself while watching Fox News. So instead, I'm doing it via podcast. In this installment, I'll be reading the snarky summary of the novel Dracula, which I've included in my book for people like me who forget all the details of a book as soon as they finish it. Since there is an entire chapter devoted to the novel, as well as Bram Stoker's life, I felt it was necessary. If you just stumbled upon this podcast by happenstance, please be aware there are two other episodes where I read sections from my book, Backpacking with Dracula, so check out the episode index to find those other two episodes. So let's get right into it. We open with the introduction of our first protagonist, Sweet's perilously naive Jonathan Harker, a recently lawyered lad from the mild streets of 1893 England. We learn via his correspondence with his fiancée, Wilhelmina Murray, who is wisely nicknamed Mina, that Jonathan is on the slow train carriage voyage to the so-called Castle Dracula in Transylvania near the border with Moldavia to meet and close a real estate deal that his boss facilitated with the nobleman Count Dracula. As Harker gets closer to the castle, learning of his destination, the local peasants express unanimous alarm, warning him to turn back, and, when he doesn't, loading him down with crucifixes and other anti-evil doohickeys. This is also when Harker first hears an unusual word, which he later translates into vampire. The chorus of beseeching eventually activates the previously inert part of Harker's brain that processes the the get-the-fuck-out instinct, but apparently the lawyer job market in the 1890s was pretty tight, because he dutifully presses on to fulfill his obligation to his boss. The Count sends a carriage to ferry Harker through the last leg of his journey through the Borgo Pass. This is presumably to keep him from scream-running all the way back to England when he gets a load of the Dark Forest of Urethra failure which is not its real name, where the carriage seems to be going in circles and is persistently stalked by howling, gnashing wolves. Knees knocking at 137 beats per minute, Harker finally arrives at the large, crumbling Castle Dracula. To Harker's mild and very temporary relief, despite being noticeably pale, gaunt, sporting pointy ears and very prominent canine teeth, Count Dracula proves to be a charming and hospitable host. He also appears to be living in the castle alone, which Harker surmises after witnessing Dracula single-handedly cooking, serving, and cleaning up the meals, and even attending to the bedding in his guest room. Harker's composure starts to dissolve when, after cutting himself while shaving, funny story, the castle has no mirrors, Dracula barely controls the urge to pounce on his bloody throat. Despite satisfying almost every bullet point on the serial killer checklist, it takes a few days of creepy confinement and increasingly harsh guest rules for Harker to figure out that he's more prisoner than visitor. Full-fledged panic ensues as Harker realizes that Dracula possesses a variety of supernatural powers and feeds on the blood of the living. Also, surprise, he seems to have a diabolical master plan regarding his real estate purchase and imminent trip to England that involves sampling the local, ahem, culinary options, and presumably a bold power grab in a society with more luster than some scattered Transylvanian villages. While inspecting one of the Count's many off-limit rooms one evening for a possible escape route, 
Harker stumbles upon and then is attacked by three gorgeous, horny, and presumably hungry female vampires. Now, if one hypothetically had to be murdered and blood-drained, I can think of worse ways to go, but before any of that penthouse forum action takes place, Dracula swoops in and informs the undead harem that Harker belongs to him. Harker realizes that he's being kept alive only to complete their business deal and idle snacking, and then Dracula plans to drain him down to a lawyer-shaped raisin. Experiencing crescendoing terror about his confinement and definitely being opposed to Dracula's implied guy-on-guy homoerotic bloodbath execution, Harker attempts and fails to kill the Count. Dracula, opting to bypass this stubborn quick snack in favor for an all-he-can-eat buffet, departs for England, hauling 50 boxes of Transylvanian earth with him. Harker, low on blood, weak and delirious, manages to escape the castle by shimmying down the exterior walls. Cut to England. As Dracula has been intercepting all of Jonathan Harker's increasingly fearful letters, a concerned Mina Murray is unaware that her fiancé has been held hostage, never mind that he came within a whisker of being the main course in a kind of vampire Thanksgiving S&M orgy. We learn via correspondence, these people do nothing but write letters and journal all day long, that Mina Murray's good friend, Lucy Westerna, has received three marriage proposals in quick succession from Dr. John Seward, who runs an insane asylum in London, Arthur Holmwood, a friend and future lord, and Quincy Morris, who apparently becomes instantly enamored with Lucy while visiting Arthur from Texas. He soon somewhat dickishly attempts a nuptial in-run around his friend. Lucy, either amazingly sincere or humble bragging the living caca out of the situation, expresses remorse that she can't reverse Mormon the situation and accept all three men, before deciding to accept her friend Arthur Holmwood's offer. Mina temporarily forgets her fiancé has gone missing in the European equivalent of the Appalachian Mountains, becomes embroiled in Lucy's faux dilemma, and travels to join her friend at the seaside town of Whitby to ostensibly console her through this embarrassment of whipped guy options. While Mina is visiting Lucy and Whitby, a Russian ship runs ashore near the town. It's revealed that the ship, originating from the Black Sea port of Varna, has no crew and its captain is found dead, lashed to the ship's wheel, armed with a crucifix, and looking none too happy about his final moments. While officials investigate this bizarre situation, a quote-unquote large dog, guess who, hurdles out of its hiding place on the ship, leaps to shore, and dashes into the countryside. The captain's increasingly urgent logs tell the tale of the crew spotting a tall, thin stowaway, a man they cannot find during a thorough search. Then, one by one, the crew starts to go missing during their voyage, and the captain, fully expecting to be disappeared himself, ties himself to the wheel in a last-ditch effort to steer the ship to land before this fate befalls him. The ship's only cargo is 50 boxes of earth shipped from Castle Dracula. Apparently, having no reason to believe the cargo and the doomed ship's fate are somehow related, the boxes are duly delivered to a newly purchased home in London. Soon after, Lucy resumes her old habit of chronic sleepwalking. Except now, she's distant sleepwalking. One night, learning that Lucy has wandered off, Mina finds her friend hanging out in her nightgown on a bench near the town cemetery. As she approaches, Mina catches a glimpse of a tall, dark form with glowing red eyes bent over Lucy, but the black shape vanishes by the time Mina reaches her. Mina notices two bloody pricks on her friend's neck. Lucy remembers nothing. In the ensuing nights, Lucy keeps wandering off. Once she's found lingering at her open window, another time in bed with what appears to be a giant bat flapping in the room. 
Lucy's health begins to deteriorate over the next few weeks. Arthur summons Dr. Seward, who's been at his asylum in London tending to an increasingly difficult patient called Renfield, who's been eating bugs and birds, believing that he'll absorb their life force and obsessing over an invisible, quote-unquote, master. Seward races up to Whitby, probably because he's a tireless gentleman, but perhaps hoping some timely, life-saving heroics will inspire Lucy to change her mind about his proposal, or that Arthur might trip in front of a streetcar while preoccupied by distress. Seward can't explain Lucy's bizarre condition and decides to call in someone who knows a thing or two about freaky afflictions, his old friend and mentor, Professor Van Helsing. As if she weren't already creeped out enough, Mina learns that a sick and half-mad Jonathan Harker has somehow staggered all the way to Budapest, having been hospitalized with some kind of brain fever. Mina leaves immediately to attend to him. Van Helsing travels from his home in Amsterdam to Whitby with startling speed for 1893, examines Lucy, and recognizes her vampiresque symptoms. The men start administering blood transfusions to Lucy in an effort to counteract her mysterious loss of blood, despite no overt wounds apart from the two tiny pricks on her neck. To everyone's relief, Lucy begins to recover. Van Helsing drapes Lucy's entire room with garlic, including a wreath around her neck, suggesting that it will help her condition without explaining his diagnosis to the others. Unfortunately, Lucy's busybody clean freak mother, who didn't get the memo about the garlic, decides to tidy up. In the grand tradition of moms everywhere throwing out treasured record collections and valuable comic books, she removes the smelly garlic adornments from Lucy's room without a moment's thought as to what the hell they were doing there in the first place. Then she opens the window to air out the room. When Van Helsing and Seward return in the morning, Lucy is once again near death. More blood transfusions ensue, and Lucy shows improvement. A few nights later, a wolf that has escaped the local zoological gardens breaks into the house by smashing through Lucy's bedroom window. Lucy's mother is literally scared to death due to an existing heart condition, leaving Lucy completely defenseless to more attacks. Lucy is found once again near death, and, curiously, sporting prominent canine teeth that Van Helsing hadn't noticed earlier. He summons Arthur Holmwood, who's been off attending to his father's death, to say goodbye to his fading fiancée. Lucy makes a brief, uncharacteristically seductive plea for Arthur to kiss her, but Van Helsing warns that he should only kiss her on the forehead. Arthur does this, Lucy dies, and bizarrely regains her pre-illness appearance. After Lucy's burial, the local newspapers begin to report that children are being stalked and attacked by a quote-unquote beautiful woman. Seward summons Arthur Holmwood and the still-lingering Quincy Morris, then Van Helsing explains to the group that Lucy is most likely a mindless, extremely hungry vampire. After an understandable amount of debate and convincing evidence, everyone is on the same page and they resolve to kill the Lucy Pyre. For real this time. The men track down and find Lucy, who's just finished dining on a child. Poor Arthur Holmwood, already well past any hope of sanity-saving therapy, gets the unenviable task of sticking his ex-fiancée through the heart. They all work together to cut off Lucy's head and stuff her mouth with garlic. After the men presumably take a moment to barf up their last three meals, they resolve to destroy Dracula himself. Having gotten married in Budapest, as one does after a near-death experience with sexy vampires, Jonathan and Mina return to England and learn of Lucy's death. Van Helsing, Seward, Arthur, and Quincy travel to London to join Harker and Mina. Harker shares the bad news about Count Dracula's powers and plans, and they form a kind of Avengers team to deal with the vampire. 
Van Helsing briefs everyone on the legend of the Nosferatu and his powers, including immortality, incredible strength, the ability to command various animals and the elements, and vanish or change form at will. The undead's weaknesses include they can't survive without blood, can't enter a house or building without the invitation of a mortal, and they lose their powers during the day. Thus, for their safety, they must seek shelter in the earth or in a coffin filled with earth. They are also powerless against crucifixes, communion wafers, and other holy objects. Since the group has been journaling their little hearts out the entire time, including Harker, who amazingly had the wherewithal to bring his Transylvania diary with him during his escape, Mina and Van Helsing collect everyone's journals to piece together a single knowledge base in preparation for their showdown with the Count. Fully briefed on Dracula, his apparent powers and weaknesses, and his grand design to make England his new banquet table, the team starts tracking down the aforementioned boxes of Transylvanian earth stashed around London, which the Count needs for nap time, as foreign soil, in other words English soil, won't rejuvenate him. They quickly find several boxes and contaminate the earth inside. Meanwhile, Dracula has become aware that Van Helsing and his team are not only on his trail, but actually have a viable plan to kill him. While the group is staying at Dr. Seward's asylum in London, poor, troubled Renfield, still entranced by Dracula, invites the vampire into the building. Dracula sucks on Mina, for what is apparently the second or third time, and then feeds her his own blood, giving her the vampire infection. With Mina now transforming into a vampire, time becomes a factor. Van Helsing is certain they can save Mina by destroying Dracula. The team splits up and continues to track down and sully Dracula's boxes of Transylvanian Earth, leaving him nowhere to safely sleep. While Harker and Van Helsing are contaminating one cache of boxes, Dracula confronts them. It's daytime, meaning Dracula is powerless. But unlike contemporary vampire characters, Dracula can in fact survive outside during the day if he's suitably covered up. He quickly surmises that he's outmatched and escapes. Dracula flees England, resolving to live and feed on young English babes another day, heading home to Transylvania with his last box of uncontaminated earth. Mina, who is now mentally connected to Dracula through some kind of vampire Wi-Fi, begins to have visions. Her companions quickly realize these are actually a conduit to the Count himself. They are able to deduce that Dracula is traveling back to Transylvania by sea. The team boards the Orient Express in the hopes of beating Dracula's boat to Varna and ambushing him. However, it turns out that the vampire Wi-Fi unsurprisingly works both ways. Dracula becomes aware of his pursuers and has the boat change course to dock at Galatz, farther north. The Avengers just miss Dracula disembarking at Galatz and they decide to split up and continue pursuit. Mina and Van Helsing by train, Arthur and Harker upriver by steamboat, and Seward and Quincy through the countryside on horseback. Van Helsing and Mina arrive at Castle Dracula first, where they encounter the three female vampires. Van Helsing heroically resists their compelling invitations for toothy sexual adventure and kills them all. He then uses vampire repellent objects to seal all the castle entrances, effectively leaving the Count locked out of his own refuge. But before the Count has a chance to cope with that little surprise, Harker, Quincy, Arthur, and Seward catch up with the group of gypsies transporting the box containing Dracula to his castle. With the sun setting, they have no time to dilly-dally. The men overpower the gypsies, Quincy is wounded in the scuffle, and they wrench open the box. Dracula is awake and senses he's moments away from having the power to feed these insolent humans their own private parts. In a flash, Harker beheads Dracula while Quincy stabs him in the heart. 
Dracula undergoes a spectacularly rapid swing of emotion from near triumph to oh fuck before crumbling into a pile of ash. Quincy succumbs to his injuries and dies. Mina returns to normal as Van Helsing predicted. Flash to seven years later. Harker and Mina are amazingly living PTSD-free and happily ever after with their child who goes by the name Quincy. Seward and Arthur are also happily married. The end. I hope you've enjoyed the reading of this snarky summary of the novel Dracula from my book, Backpacking with Dracula. If you'd like to buy the book, please, you can order it through Amazon or you can order it through a couple of independent bookstores here in the Twin Cities, one of them being Subtext Books in St. Paul, the other being Moon Palace Books in Minneapolis. You have been listening to the Life Pedersen Makes a Podcast podcast. I hope your Halloween transpires without any encounters with vampires or the Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck virus. Thanks for listening.